0: I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today's episode is a lecture given at the conference "Rewriting the Future: A Hundred Years of Esoteric Modernism and Psychoanalysis" at Brunnenberg Castle on June 1st, 2019. The eighth panel of the conference with uh, Vanessa Sinclair and Blanche Barton. And Vanessa Sinclair is a psychoanalyst from New York City who is now based in Stockholm and sees clients internationally. She is the editor of Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics and Poetry and the co-editor of On Psychoanalysis and Violence, Contemporary Lacanian Perspectives with Dr. Manja Steinkohler. And the author of Switching Mirrors <coughs> on Trap Books. Yeah. Dr. Sinclair hosts the Rendering Unconscious <coughs> podcast, addressing the state of psychoanalysis and mental health care, politics, the arts, mm-hmm. culture, and current events. She's a founding member of Das Behagen, a free association for psychoanalysis, and arranges psychoanalytic <coughs> conferences internationally. Thank so, you. Yeah, take mm-hmm. it away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, my talk is called The Crusade Against Magical Thinking. By this point in time, many, if not most, academics understand that European colonization of other continents from the early 15th century onwards has resulted in widespread systematic racism, misogyny, oppression. and a vastly uneven distribution of wealth worldwide. This colonial violence continues to impact our society in a variety of ways to this day. But colonization occurs not only in the land grab of physical terrain, resources, and slave labor, but also through the colonization of the mind. Western European values are held as a standard by which all others are measured. And while this portion of the population is a small minority compared to the billions of people on the planet, it considers itself to be the norm and considers all other cultures to be just that, others. This point of view is of course quite infantile, simplistic, and narcissistic to say the least. As mentioned, At this point, most academics seem to understand this and are working towards an understanding of the ramifications of colonization worldwide, however, there seems to be a sort of blind spot or denial about the ways in which colonization has impacted the way we think about mental health, the field of psychiatry and psychology in general, and the symptom of magical thinking in particular. Despite magical thinking not being clearly defined in the DSM, it is nevertheless indicative of such serious diagnoses as schizophrenia and schizotypal personality disorder. Simply described as odd beliefs or magical thinking that influence behavior and, consi- and being inconsistent with cultural norms, i.e. superstitiousness, belief in clairvoyance, telepathy, or Or, quote unquote, sixth sense. The online version of the DSM links to a definition of magical thinking at a site called BehaveNet, which states that magical thinking is, quote, a primitive thought disorder characterized by content which suggests that the patient believes that his thoughts can produce actions. Maybe, no- <laughs> that's what it says, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then in, in parentheses it says, maybe normal in children. <laughs> the reason I'm focusing on magical thinking in particular as an important area to address at this time is that it is something that most people seem to have internalized as true in the West. I'm specifically speaking about in the United States, as that's why I've been working. Magical thinking, they think that magical thinking is a small sign of a much larger issue. The first step on a slippery slope, a royal road to psychosis, a lifelong chronic and incurable medical condition. And people are warned of this at a young age, often in adolescence, when they are taught that they must shed these primitive, childlike ideas and, quote-unquote, grow up. The prohibition on magical thinking in Western European society has been internalized by individuals and can affect them on a daily basis. And as it is less severe than overt psychotic symptoms, this implicit patholization of it is quite insidious as it erodes the individual's ability to trust their own personal experience, encouraging people to abandon their own perceptions in order to adhere to social norms. A great many aspects of human life and experience have been pathologized, and overly so, as individuals are continually coerced into fitting into smaller and smaller boxes to maintain the status quo and appear Normal. People's autonomy and sense of agency has been stripped away over time, bit by bit, in a variety of overt and more covert ways. As a clinician, I can say that almost every patient that has come through my office has at one time or another said, I know this sounds crazy, but... or, I don't want you to think I'm crazy, but... Usually what comes after this but is either a synchronicity that they've noticed, a moment when the outside world and their internal experience seems to connect or reflect in a meaningful way, or when a person has experienced a vision or encounter with a deceased loved one, whether through a dream or other kind of dreamlike state a time when the analysand felt their ancestor or loved one communicated with them in some way. The fact that patients feel they will be seen as crazy or that they have to justify themselves or their experiences when they feel an intimate connection or communication with a deceased loved one or ancestor is tragic. The fact that people are made to feel pathological, desperate or regressed For experiencing such a moment is a shame. Humans have been holding space for and venerating our ancestors for millennia, as well we should. We should not forget the trials and tribulations of those that came before us, their perseverance, strength and determination. This is how each and every one of us came to be, why we are here today, perhaps the perpetuation of such a worldview that belittles and disregards the memory of and connection to our ancestors has contributed to such phenomena as transgenerational transmission of trauma and the clear need we have now as a global society for recognition of the past of our collective history. The evangelism of the colonists and crusaders who carried the cross in one hand and a sword in the other forced people of a variety of cultures to give up a long-held tradition of respecting and venerating their own ancestors in order to adopt someone else's. To quote MJ Maher, the saints as foreign ancestors. There is a reason black magic is called black magic It is no coincidence and has everything to do with race and colonization. The oppressors belittling the practices of the occupied native peoples and Africans they used as slave labor. To quote Nicola Fisbald, Makumba was the tool used by the people of the streets, the outcasts, the slaves, the freeborn slaves, and all strata of society that suffered under oppression. Fortunately, people are innovative, and the colonized found ways to continue to practice their rituals and traditions by merging them with the iconography of the Catholic oppressors. The Orishas of Yoruba became the saints of Santeria, wearing the ornamentation of Catholicism as a means of survival, evolving and forming new iterations of old religions. Altars and rituals created for Eshus and Pompagiras the Virgin Mary, and Santa Barbara alike. In the white Western European standard, even traditions that have histories thousands of years older than Western medicine, which is really relatively new, are deemed to be alternative. Traditions that work with the cycles of nature, meridians of energy, herbs, the earth, land, or direction, including Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, are seen as new age, hocus pocus, something fun or relaxing, but not anything to be taken seriously. And as for the first part that I mentioned, the making of meaning in one's life through the noticing or even creation of synchronicities. People make meaning in their lives all the time. If the main argument against synchronicity is that there cannot possibly be an actual connection between inner experience and external reality, and therefore the individual is inventing meaning where there is none, well then I don't really see that as much of an argument. People make meaning in their lives all the time. Implying that someone's personal experience is not valid because it does not conform to socially normative ways of making meaning in one's life is not useful and in my experience does more harm than good. Oftentimes the anxiety an individual has around the fear of being crazy or going crazy does more harm than anything else. If making meaning in one's life through the noticing of synchronicities gives a person a sense of security in the world, a feeling they are on the right track, then what is the problem? If someone is Christian and they say that God sent them a sign, then it's socially acceptable to have faith. But if someone speaks of synchronicities, then they've fallen into the realm of the magical or occult, they've lost the plot, and are seen as new age, flaky, or Jungian. (laughs) These are all ways to belittle, judge, write off, and condescend the personal experiences of others. Just another way to colonize the mind. The realm of magical thinking seems to still be taboo even among persons that otherwise understand the widespread effects of colonization that have occurred in other areas such as internalized racism, homophobia, misogyny, and oppression. But even among the most well-meaning of people, the idea of folk magic practices, coming-of-age rituals, and the like, at least ones that are not part of mainstream society, still seem to be looked upon as quaint at best. Something that people of an older generation believed in, your sweet grandmother, who is still quite superstitious. It may be okay for someone who lives rurally, or in some other exotic culture or country where they still think like that, but certainly not for someone in an urban setting among the educated, academic, or elite. And that's at best. In many parts of the world, indigenous or folk magic practitioners are still persecuted as witches and ostracized or even killed. It wasn't that long ago, in the 1980s and early 90s, in fact, that satanic panic spread across the United States, resulting in the imprisonment and incarceration of adolescents and young adults accused of Satanism and witchcraft, several of whom were just finally acquitted and released in recent years. Like the West Memphis Free, who were released in 2011, cleared of all charges after DNA testing showed they were not at the scene of the crime. After sitting on death row, for nearly twenty years. And they are the lucky ones whose case was publicized by celebrities. Imagine all those who remain in prison, on death row, or have already died. Even the more recent case of Amanda Knox, an American exchange student in Perugia who was accused of being some sort of hysteric harlot involved in the supposed ritual killing of her roommate and held in an Italian prison for four years before finally being released and acquitted in 2015. And even this year, in 2019, the Pope continues to blame Satan for the systemic abuses and pedophilia that continue to pervade the church. These are very real events that still have and continue to affect many people's lives. Christian missionaries continue to make their way across Africa Latin America and other parts of the world in an effort to convert under the guise of bringing aid, and this is supposed to be seen as noble and honorable. In his book, What is Madness?, Darian Leader notes that when we think of madness and treating psychosis, what we are really concerned with is returning patients back to what is considered to be the social norm. In this book, he gives an example of a patient he was working with that seemed no different than many of his friends. He was thoughtful and engaging, studied philosophy and psychology. When Darian asked the staff why this person was interned in a long-term mental health care facility, the staff seemed to look at him like he hadn't learned the secret yet. Eventually, in one of their sessions, the patient began talking about some other planet that he lived on that was not Earth. The patient's affect didn't change, he was not distressed, he spoke about this place like it was any other fact of life. While Darien understood that this discrepancy between the patient's personal reality and the agreed upon consensus reality of our society meant that this patient had a delusion, quote unquote, he didn't seem to think it warranted someone having to live in an inpatient facility for the rest of their lives. Having worked with many university students, what is surprisingly under addressed is that between the ages of 18 and 22, when people are often heading off to college, it is also the time when many individuals begin to experience more severe symptoms of stress and anxiety than they ever have before, and sometimes even psychotic breaks. This makes sense as this is the time when adolescents are often leaving home for the first time to head off on their own, a time when they must learn to support themselves in their daily lives in ways that they hadn't had to before. And if they are at university or in a full-time job, they may well be experiencing higher level of pressure and stress than ever before. Unfortunately, when these young adults seek help from the authority figures and medical doctors, they are often told that they are experiencing symptoms of psychosis, are borderline or bipolar, that they have a chronic medical condition that is biologically based and has no known cure or reliable form of treatment, that there is something fundamentally wrong with them biochemically, biologically, or even genetically, and that they will likely be on prescription medication for the rest of their lives. How does this help anyone? This only adds anxiety and despair, helplessness and hopelessness to a young person who has just been given a life sentence. This can only serve to exacerbate their symptoms. What if instead we let them know that actually many people experience intense symptoms at this transitional time in their lives, that this makes sense given the stressors they are enduring, that stress often manifests in these types of symptoms, including physical and somatic symptoms, and that with the work of analysis or talk therapy and a support system in place, they can learn to understand what's going on with themselves, work through these symptoms, and go on to live productive, fulfilling lives. Whereas other cultures have provided rituals and models for marking these transitions in life, particularly from childhood to adolescence and adolescence to adulthood, the current Western European colonial social structure is lacking in this area, as well as in the ways the community can hold or make space for times of crisis that may occur when individuals are making these transitions. Over the decades, there have been a variety of books written addressing the lack of resources available during these times and offering alternate ways of thinking about and understanding symptoms of psychosis rather than our current paradigm. Many of these books are written by persons who have experienced such crises themselves or by someone close to them, such as My Mysterious Son in 2014 by Dick Russell, or the recent, The Collected Schizophrenias by Esme Wang. Still others have been written by psychiatrists and other mental health clinicians, such as Spiritual Emergency, When Personal Transformation Becomes a Crisis in 1989, by Stanislav Graf, including R.D. Lang. Many of these contributions include discussions of different ways of thinking about mental illness that deviate from the standard accepted view of Western medicine and how the Western social structure as opposed to many other cultures lacks a socially delineated system to approach, address, work through, and provide space for a person experiencing symptoms of crisis, emotional or behavioral duress, including hallucinations, delusions, or other symptoms of psychosis. Unfortunately, the standard of care has become psychopharmaceutical, and very rarely is any other method of treatment, like talk therapy, implemented, even with medication. It has become all about symptom suppression or management, and not about rehabilitation, understanding, and treatment.
0: Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a lecture given at the conference Rewriting the Future, 100 Years of Esoteric Modernism and Psychoanalysis, given at Brunnenberg Castle, South Tyrol, Italy, on June 1st, 2019. For more, please visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net Or our publisher's website, tripart.net. That's T R A P A R T.net. Thank you.